Boomer in the Morning is on right now. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary. This hour brought to you by Spruce It Up Garden Center, your one-stop shop for the best plants, trees, pots, and decor, and the greenest grass. Spruce it up, green it up, prune it up. They got you covered. Everything is happening. Lots on the go. What a match last night. We did hear from him in the Pinder Report. We did. And it, not wrong. Everything is happening. That's right, Robert. That's the one. Everything Sir Robert to you. was happening. Two goals for Dylan Dubé. He's got 18. Eight in his last seven. You can get to 20? Nine in the month of April. Settle down, dupes. Hey, you know what? Save some for the playoffs. I was going to say, we'll just keep you at 18. Maybe fire a few more in in round, uh, round number one. Hmm. Round two. Hmm. All right. Noah Hannafin, goal and an assist. He has a six-game point streak, seven points in six games. His career high of points prior to this year was 33. He's at 48 now. Has tied his career high in goals with that marker last night at 10. And in the month of April, if you need it, 13 games, 16 points. Yeah, with that uh, five-point game against Seattle, four-point game. Four assists. Yeah, that was helpful. Johnny Gaudreau, game number 600 last night. Two helpers coming late. Game tying goal, game winning goal. 600 games? 600 and I believe that's a seven I wrote down. Eight, no, it would be a two. Mm. two five, Try this again. Seven. I can help you here. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau, game uh, 600. Yeah. Uh, points, his career point uh, total. Well, he's over 600. 607. Know. No, I have it written down. I couldn't tell if that was a, a nine. Or, or a one without the little thing in the bottom. He, yeah, he's just such a frustrating player, that over point per game since he came in the league, Johnny Gaudreau. With the two helpers last night, he has now put up 12 in his last six. And it was, as I said right at the start, it was an absolute banger. Nashville came out, and they, I think they forced the issue. I don't know that it was them having to respond. I, I have to think that there was a, we could play these guys. Let's set the tone. Let's show them what it's going to be like to come in our building and try and win. It was also win and you clinch night. And there was other permutations in which they could clinch. And we saw one of them unfold. But, hey, guys, let's just get the X here. Win tonight. We're in. And I, But I think you can do that without the physical nature, without the scraps in the first period and all of that. Yeah, I'm not even talking about like what style of game. It was just like there, were, there was a sense of urgency and they wanted to play their best game. And that's them at their best. Nashville doesn't come out and, you know, play peripheral hockey. That's not who they are. Like they have some guys that prefer that, but the general makeup of this team is an immensely physical one that led the league in hits and fights. If they were going to play their best game, it has to be physical. So are, are you with, with this team? Are we at a point now... You want to be playing your best hockey, and we looked at those. Well, yeah, you lost to Vegas at home. And you beat Arizona, but everybody's beating Arizona, 9-1. to What, what did we really learn? They're 10-1-1 in their last 12, I'm, and I think but for I'm, half that, they didn't even feel like they are playing that well. But it's that, crazy. That's what I was going to say, because it's not about style points, but the game against Chicago, it was 2-2, was it not? It got tied up there, and then they end up uh, 5-2, winning that thing. And we were kind of critiquing it 
Yeah. That while you're getting wins, are you really playing the way you want to be playing? Certainly, Daryl would say, no, we're not. And at t- I think that, that there was a run of, I think, six in a row, five in a row where they weren't playing. Yeah, Seattle, those two opponents. games against Seattle, they weren't particularly like, uh, impressive. They were really, man, the first 40 against Seattle and pulled one out of the fire with the goalie change. You know, Vegas isn't going to be a playoff team um, at this point. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games in a row against non-playoff opponents. Now, Vegas was desperate. None of the other teams were, and I thought they got away with some less than 60-minute efforts, but give them credit. Last week in Nashville, really good effort, second half of a back-to-back. They come back from 2-0. You know, efforts at home against Dallas and Vancouver, not much to quibble with there. Last night against Nashville, brought it again. So it does appear to be a group rounding into form rather than one that kind of wanted to kick it into neutral a bit against bad teams. And as you said, 10-1-1 in their last 12. They have gotten sufficient rest for Jacob Markstrom. Yep. If the playoffs start on the 3rd, that will be a week yesterday. So he has played one game in the last week. We assume he'll play one game in the coming week. That's pretty good. Two games in two weeks coming in? I mean... You're going to dig that. Whatever you need him to have, rest versus playing, rhythm, whatever... Practices, days off, give him everything he needs. Uh, see, now he's got too much rest. Uh, a guy, guy like that needs to play. He's got to feel the puck. Now you give him too much time off. It'll be... Look, we don't know what they know. We don't know how he's feeling. Is he a hundo? Is he 98? Is there such a thing as that? I don't know. Like, it's uh, – I'm just glad that – like, there, we always said, we if you wake up every morning and, and only play your best goalie, Markstrom can play all 82, but there really isn't a lot of downside of playing Vladar. No, and you know I don't know. You look at Daryl didn't like the one goal that Forsberg had last week on the power play against Nashville. And he rifled it in off the post on the power play on a one timer. So, like settle down, Daryl. So he probably I don't know if he liked the one that Forsberg scored last night, the second one, the wrister on the right side. But Vladar's finishers in the game. Vladar, he has been fine, and he has given you the goaltending you need to win. You have gotten the. If the conventional thinking is you give your goalie rest, he's gotten that rest, and there's no, there's no way to decipher and to go back in time or to revisit things. Would, would if you play and you get injured, if you, all no, of that you sort of know. thing, you don't know. But you know what? Nashville last night went to the well again. Lost their goaltender. Sixty seventh yep. start of the season, needing to let, nail down a playoff spot in the final week of the year, mm-hmm. and now. It could all really be hanging in the balance if he can't go. In the playoffs, yeah. yeah. Um, and this is where we're out of our element, and even coaches probably would lean on support staff. If you're a sports scientist and you've been watching UC Saros all year and measuring his heart rate levels in practice and you know watching you know where is it, where, what's going on with his body. Is he gaining weight? Is he losing weight? How's his muscle? How's your sleep? Like All that data they have in front of them. Was this an avoidable overuse type issue that Saros ran into, or was it a fluke thing? We have no idea, but there are people employed by these teams that at least can make educated guesses at what these things are. So I like that we're not seeing a lot of Markstrom right now because it's just games he can't get hurt in if he's not playing. Whether it's overuse or just a random thing, either way, he ain't getting hurt if he ain't putting the gear on. How's your hip? How's your knee? How's your head? How's your dog? How's your dog? Your dog? How's your damn dog? How's your damn dog? Is he a dog guy? He loves dogs. Mark Stramall, don't get him going. I feel like he could be a cat guy. Goalie's a little bit weird like that. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know.
Who wants cats? Warner, that's it. I bet you're, uh, I bet Dumas a cat. Yeah, I'd put him in the cat pile. Eh? No, I'm not a cat person. Are you not? I have two dogs, actually. You got uh, some some kudos on the text line this morning, Pinder, for your pull on the Portuguese water dog. We were talking. Those are the ones where it hangs right in the eyes. Where Dylan Dubé, where he might be if they play any amount of playoff time. What with his ability to grow his follicular abilities. Obama's dog was a Portuguese water dog. It's a fancy dog, and uh, Dubé is well hypoallergenic. You're not going to itch and scratch around him. So I thought a good comp there. Yeah, you're welcome. But it was a battle. The scraps in the first period, I did not see Jeannot. Uh, now, I, he gets clobbered by Goodbranson along, along the boards, and then they meet up again. He knows that that's Eric Goodbranson, and he knows what Eric Goodbranson is all about. So credit to the kid. He's like, I, well, I, if we're going to... very familiar with Goodbranson. If we are going to have this game where we're going to... Me- measure up and all of this, then I'm going to have to drop the mitts. And he fared extremely well. Now, he's not a small player. He's happy tossing, uh, shooting the old Dukes. He's happy. He's fine doing that. But uh, credit to the kid. And then Milan Lucic on Borvietsky hit him right on the side of the face. There's the one angle where he hit him, and it's kind of like that slow mo where you see it in boxing sometimes where. You know, the spit kind of goes flying and the, the skin on the face kind of... Just comes off the skull for a bit there, yeah. Yeah, he, get, he got uh, Boro with one of those last Oof. night. So... I don't know that... Uh, I mean, you know what I loved was Borowiecki, next time he touches the puck in the whole game, I believe. It's like it settles for a wrist shot, left side of the circle, maybe outside of the circle. That's Easily could peel straight, off, hit yeah. the brakes, just goes right to the goalie. And like Sting from the rafters, Lucic comes out of nowhere and oh, just yeah. steamrolls and be like, oh, baby, Borowiecki might be dumb enough to do this again. I love it. I don't know how Lucic played just 10 minutes and 37 I seconds. I swore he played half an hour. Right? He was out there all the time. Rick Ball and the fourth line back out there again. Daryl Sutter going with his fourth line. That was a lot of Luch. That was perfect Luch. It's if, that you could, whole, if you could get that twice in a series, you'd be thrilled. Never mind every night. You think about how this team, on, on different occasions, and I don't know, you mentioned coming up on Minnesota. Be a, this will be a game with... Well, uh, physicality again, it, yeah. Right? It's, gonna, it's, it's going to matter to them in standing. Mm-hmm. And the last two times they played the Flames, those were big boy games. And they did not have Greenway... Uh, f- remember Marcus Foligno was like, I got to do more. I got to step up when it's, well, no, no, you don't. The flames kind of, they were again, happy to hang mm. in the alley with, with the Minnesota wild. So I don't know if that's what it's going to, uh, going to look like, but Milan Lucic was asked, did this game against the predators, did this almost feel like game one of what could be a six, seven or eight game series here? Daryl's been, been honest about being in playoff mode for the last, you know, 10, 15 games. And I think that's what you know, makes him a really good coach and why he's been, why we've had success as a team is, is he prepares us and get us ready and fired up for every game, no matter, no matter what. So if we play them, if we don't play them, whoever we play, it's, it was definitely a playoff type of game. And there is that too. If they play Nashville or Dallas, there was, there was benefit from that game last night. Those guys love, I mean, Kachuk was in his element. I think Rasmus Anderson loves that kind of a, that style of game. You know, Lucic loves it. They've got some guys that are very comfortable in there. Yeah. No, they're not. There's no one, um, 
Yeah, there's a lot of guys that that's exactly the type of game they want to be in. Not like, okay, I'll do it. But we're like, yes, rubbing hands together. Rasmus Anderson, 25-52 in ice. Four minutes on the power play, 341 on the penalty kill, seven shots on net. The two assists that he picks up get him to 50 points on the season. And he's been real good in uh, in April, nine points in 13 games. He can shoot it too. You saw it last night. They put the old uh, speed gun on him. People forget he won hardest shot in the AHL skills competition before he came up. Everyone thought there's no offense here. There was always offense there. It was just going to take some time. And he's still kind of bouncing between power play one and power play two as the season's gone back and forth. Like, I think there's more there offensively. He's got to start hitting the net a little more for yeah. my liking, but he, there's lots of looks he gets. I think it's only natural he starts finishing more of them. Of all the things that we can talk about, you head into the playoffs. The emergence of that pairing, two 25-year-olds, Mark Giordano leaving, Anderson and Hannafin coming together, they've been better than advertised and expected. We've, we've talked a lot about that third pairing because expectations were so low and it looked like it was going to be a, a train wreck. A garbage it certainly fire, could have been. And the right? second pair we wondered about because we didn't know who was going to play with Tanov. And you're like, man, if it's Zadorov and Tanov, like there is no offensive IQ there. That's going to be... Ugh. If anything, I feel like those two, are th- that's the pairing that needs to round into form here. I feel like Tanev has been a little more and if shaky. That's, if and that's your biggest sh- issue on the blue line, I think you're doing great. Yeah, and I, they I just, been it's bad, an observation. I think, I think that's not a bad observation. Yeah, I think that they haven't been as uh, as smooth as they have been. Yeah, and I, I I do wonder about Shillington. That's the type of play in the playoffs where if he takes that penalty, he might sit. Daryl would have hated that interference penalty. Yeah. Because it just screamed of like, this moment's a little too big for me. I sh- you shouldn't have done it. Panic. Yeah. You can skate, son. Don't yeah, worry. Just use your wheels. You're good. You're not uh, you're not getting beat by this guy coming along the wall. And to be fair, like first time in his career he's played significant minutes every night. And you know, it's going to be his first playoff series where he's playing significant minutes, top 4, like if he's got some speed wobbles, I'm willing to live with it because it's it's new for him. Do you know that a week today we're going to be talking about Game one. Game one from the Dome last night. Oh. A week today. Let's go. Right? I mean, if we don't get arrested for taking our clothes off in the Red Mile. Let's get it going. <laughs> Dome's going to be rocking. Was the was the bridge still? Yeah, it was hot last night. It was oh, going. Man, that's such a good barn. It's a good horn. That good horn. Good barn. good barn. I was watching with my old man last night who's been out of, out of town for a while. And he'd given up on the Jays, and I'm like, no, 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 just stay. Like this offense can do things, and we're bouncing back and forth. He's like, oh my goodness. He's like, is this building as crazy? I'm like, yes. I haven't been to all the rinks in the NHL, and I've never been to Montreal in the playoffs. But for my money, there are not better atmospheres than Vegas and Nashville in the NHL today. Live music, chanting, the horn, it's it's a lot, and everyone's into it. This is not the uh, the gold seats in Toronto where they when they're done their sushi they're out for the eight minute mark of the second period. Like everyone is in. Yeah, Kachuk was loving it. The rink was awesome. Like the the atmosphere was great, but you couldn't really hear for a lot of parts of the game. Um, that made it very special and very fun. Back and forth, and ultimately, uh, I haven't beaten these guys this year, so 
if we do run into them, it's nice to have the confidence that we can beat them. So um, yeah, I thought all in all, that was that game did a lot for us. Less than a week. Game one oh, baby. at the Dome next Tuesday. And two games to go. Not a ton to play for. I think the only thing that potentially maybe might matter would be if you got to round three and what a blessing it would be whether you had home ice or not, but you could have home ice over Minnesota and St. Louis. Yeah. It, all three teams are within one point of each other at this juncture, but that's a hard thing to put up on the whiteboard because Daryl doesn't want anyone thinking about round three. It's game one on Tuesday was what everyone's thinking about. So I, I wonder if they don't go skeleton roster for the last game of the year and play the Minnesota game like it means something. In uh, in typical Daryl fashion, you would expect nothing else. 50th win of the season last night. So Daryl was asked on the uh, the accomplishment of hitting 50. Still got two left. Right, but you've won 50, and that's a nice mouse. Still got two left. Mm. You got two left. He did put some praise on the, the guys no, and said it's something significant. That they, I'm proud of our team. Yeah. To have that kind of record and do what they've done is pretty pretty good group. We break. We'll come back. Talk some football. Austin Gale, pro football focus, NFL draft tomorrow. A bunch of teams with multiple picks in the first round. No kidding. Teams with some serious needs at the top of that draft. Uh, we'll see what what kind of drama. And no consensus number one. In the last week, Weird. there's been about th- for sure two, if not three players that have been kind of slotted or picked by Vegas as the, uh, as the potential number one pick. We'll talk to Austin Gale next. Sportsnet 960, the fan. You're listening to Boomer in the Morning with Ryan Pinder on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This hour of the show brought to you by Spruce It Up Garden Center, your one-stop shop for the best plants, trees, pots, and decor in the greenest grass. Spruce it up, green it up, prune it up. They got you covered. Wednesday before the NFL draft, there's so much buzz. You get all, you get all of the football people and football media and the brass and owners and scouts and all of these people together war rooms dean so great war rooms austin gale draft analyst pro football focus joins us man appreciate you taking some time for us now i don't know how it works with vegas i don't know how they handicap their odds but we saw a change at the top spot the odds on favorite there had been so much love for Aiden Hutchinson, but that, that changed this week. What has happened with Trayvon Walker? Why the switch, and are you buying it at number one? I'm definitely buying it. I think it's not so much you know that the Jacksonville Jaguars are getting new information or you know something has happened there. It's more that I think that the media is catching up to, and obviously the betting markets are catching up to. You know, Balky, Trent Balky, the GM of the Jacksonville Jaguars, his significant interest in Trayvon Walker, the Georgia edge defender that was practically built in a lab to play edge in the NFL, hmm. six foot five, two seventy two, with over thirty five inch arms, and you know athletic testing that's very comparable to what Miles Garrett was coming out of Texas A&M. Now, Miles Garrett had a lot more than nine and a half career sacks, and that's what Trayvon Walker has. And I think that's where the concern is with Trayvon Walker's evaluation profile is the production. You can look at any number in the book, you can even make up numbers, and none of them will tell you that Trayvon Walker was an uber productive player at Georgia. So then the question goes to why. Why wasn't Walker as productive as Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau or Jared Karloftis? And you know, a lot of people will look at the scheme that he was in. He also didn't play a lot over the course of his career at Georgia. They're so loaded in the trenches. But I think the bigger reason is that he's raw. Like, he has not played a lot of snaps. He's played less than 
600 career snaps at edge defender. Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau have played triple that. So you're going to project Trayvon Walker, one, to playing more, and two, having improved his pass rushing technique. He does not have the hands of a Thibodeau or a, or a Hutchinson. I think bulky bets on upside with Walker or the other player in consideration at number one overall is not even Aiden Hutchinson from what I've heard. It's Iki Aquanu, the NC State offensive tackle that Doug Peterson, the head coach in Jacksonville, is enamored with and wants to add so he can continue to obviously you know, boost that offense and develop Trevor Lawrence. Do you feel like the ship has sailed on Jacksonville potentially getting out of the number one spot? Are they using that pick? 100%. I don't see why a team would trade up, especially if the odds are Walker, right? Because I don't even think the Detroit Lions want Walker. Walker, you know, I think could fall to Houston at three or the Jets at four if he isn't taken at number one overall. Now, I do think he is being taken number one overall. And, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars kind of unlucky in that, you know, a year after having the number one overall pick and taking a quarterback to Trevor Lawrence, they have it again, and it's in a class where we might not see a quarterback come off the board until halfway through the first round, which just drops the value of that pick significantly. Well, and I was going to ask you about quarterbacks. Last year we what, had a handful by the 15th pick, and it looks like it could be a wait. If, if maybe Carolina changes the script a little bit, what do you see Carolina doing at six? Obviously it looks like they're getting out of the uh, Sam Darnold business. They've said... They're not interested potentially in trading for Baker Mayfield, but they do need some quarterback help. Yeah, I think it's more likely that they take an offensive tackle at six. That could be Evan Neal of Alabama, Iki Aquanu, NC State, or Charles Cross, Mississippi State, who I think is a favorite to go inside the first six picks now. I think it's more likely they do that or trade out of pick number six to get more picks. They only have one pick inside the first 134 selections in the 2022 NFL draft. And I don't have to tell you that their roster is not that good and they need more rookie contracts on that piece. So I do think that it's more likely they trade down than take quarterback. And if they stay put, they're probably going to go offensive tackle. Now, what do they do at quarterback? They either run the table again with Sam Darnold, or if they're not trading for Baker Mayfield, I think a trade for Jimmy Garoppolo is probably more likely. Hmm. I was going to ask you because they're, we heard Darren Waller's name come up this week. Now, maybe that was going back to the Devontae Adams deal. Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, Darren Waller, are we going to see any names move? Or is that, if, if at all, it'll be over the course of uh, you know Friday into the weekend? Darren Waller is not being traded. I, I don't see that happening. I do agree with the report that you know, the, the Packers and Raiders had involved Darren Waller in the initial trade conversation. But now at this point, I just don't see that happening with Know, how things have shaken out. I think it's more likely that he plays this year with the Raiders and then maybe it's moved after that because obviously he's not signed through 2023. I don't think Darren Waller has moved now. I do think DK Metcalf or Debo Samuel will be traded you know, during the draft. I, I think one of those two receivers will come off the board. I think Debo Samuel is more likely to be traded. I don't think it's coincidence that you're seeing reports that the Niners' relationship with Debo Samuel is so good now. It's perfect. Obviously, you have to do that to bump up his value. The teams know Debo wants out no matter what. That drops how much you can get in return for him if your back is against the wall. So I do think that Debo or DK Metcalf has moved, and the Jets are probably the most likely team to make a play. Chatting with uh, with Austin Gale, Pro Football Focus draft analyst, NFL draft coming up uh, tomorrow. Ryan, boy, there's a lot of teams with multiple picks in the first round. Who do you see has the best chance to, I guess, you know, make the most of that opportunity? I, Philadelphia, New York. Detroit, New Orleans, Green Bay, and Kansas City as competitive teams have multiple first-rounders. Like, that, to me, adds a lot of intrigue. What, what does it mean to you when you see multiple teams with multiple picks in the first round? Yeah, I mean, I think the teams that where those picks matter the most 
to them turning their franchises around is obviously the two New York teams. Like the Jets need to hit on those picks to continue to develop Zach Wilson and obviously Robert Sala in his second year as head coach there. And for the Giants, they've been a disaster for a while now, right? Dave Gettleman has put them in a hole, and now you got Kadarius Toney not showing up to camp. You're going to trade Darius Slayton. Daniel Jones hasn't progressed. So the Giants and Jets, a lot of pressure on those picks. Now, which teams I think will you know, maybe leverage those picks into being more Super Bowl competitive? Those are obviously the teams you mentioned at the latter of that. It's Green Bay. It's Kansas City. They can go and move up for a receiver with those picks. They can add two starters at holes. You know, when you've got teams that are you know, back end of the first-round teams that are competitive and you have two first-round picks, you know, those are teams that can add a couple holes to make them more Super Bowl competitive, and they can attack need a bit more than those New York teams at the top that just need to add value wherever they can find it. Now, Philly had three, if I'm correct, and they traded one to New Orleans, if I'm right, and that sort of allowed them to get into next year's first round. Is that sort of an idea where they might be looking for a quarterback, but not till next year's class? Yeah, I think it just means that, you know, they want to push more draft capital in 2023 as they continue to evaluate the quarterback position. I don't think it's necessarily like, okay, yeah, we're going to make sure we get a quarterback next year. It's more that we're still evaluating Jalen Hurts. We don't know if we're going to commit to him long-term and getting three first round picks, which would be three contracts, all that would come up at the same time with three fifth year options. It does make things more difficult down the road. So it does make sense. especially if you get what the saints gave them. I mean, the saints gave them a first next year and a second, you know, in 2024, pretty much you just like moved down a couple spots. So it was a no brainer trade for the Philadelphia Eagles. We've seen some dynamic young receivers come in in year one and look right at home. If not, you know, just explosive options. Jamison Williams, Alabama, torn ACL, but teams, at least it sounds like they're not overly deterred by it. Garrett Wilson, Ohio State. Uh, how deep is this wide receiver class? Who do you see going first? Yeah, I think it is a deeper wide receiver class than it is top heavy. I don't think I take any of the receivers in this class over Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, and Jamar Chase last year. I think those guys were legitimate blue chip, true number ones. I think in this year's class, there are guys that have you know, what number one wide receiver potential, but I think a lot of these guys will end up being wide receiver twos. I think I could see that with Olave. I could see that with London, maybe playing a power slot role, same with Traylon Burks. Now it is a deep class. I think these guys are super talented. I just don't see the blue chip talent in it. And then as for Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson, I think it's more likely that Garrett Wilson goes ahead of Williams. Right now, Garrett Wilson is a favorite to go inside the nine, first nine picks. I think Atlanta is going to take a hard look at Garrett Wilson. And then I think Jamison Williams is the second receiver off the board. He could go as high as probably eight or ten. So what is it about uh, this class of quarterbacks that, that uh, doesn't have teams wanting to move up? And does that mean that there aren't good quarterbacks or that maybe the ceilings aren't as high? Like, tell us about the guys at the top of the quarterback class. Yeah, I think it's it's been an interesting one to have you know conversations on, and I think the blanketed term is that it's underwhelming or bad. Some people say it's a bad quarterback class. I think a more specific term is it's unpolished. There just isn't a lot of polish in this quarterback class. Malik Willis has a rocket arm, is super athletic, six foot two twenty. You know, broke more missed tackle, you know, broke more tackles in the FBS than any quarterback last year. But wildly inaccurate, easily the most inaccurate quarterback of all the top guys in this class, and also has not played. You know, a lot of high-end football took a lot of sacks at Liberty. So there's things that he needs to improve in his game before he maximizes his potential. But it doesn't mean he doesn't have traits that teams will want to latch on to. It's very similar to Mac Crown, Sam Howell, who have really good arms, are athletic. You know, there's some high-end deep throws on their tape, but played in really gimmicky offenses. I mean, you know, Mac Crown leaned into his first read, you know, like 40, 50 percent of the time at, at Ole Miss in that Lane Kiffin offense. And Sam Howell, 46 percent of his plays 
for RPOs. You know, there are teams in the NFL that don't clear 10%. So he's going to play a completely different offense in the NFL. I think the other quarterback you mentioned is Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter, in my opinion, you know, maybe has the most polish of this group, but doesn't have the biggest arm, isn't the biggest athlete, is a little bit slim from a frame perspective. And then you have some concerns a little bit with some inaccuracy. But I, I do think that Desmond Ritter is the best quarterback in this class because he does have the most polish. Some great names. I love Iki Aquanu and I loving Sauce Gardner. Oh, yeah. A little sauce, wow. right? And, and people, lo- they're loving sauce. This guy's going to be a stud. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Sauce Gardner. I was talking to his head coach there at Cincinnati a week ago yesterday. He said he wouldn't call him Sauce until he was drafted. He's only got a couple of days left because he's going to be probably a top five, top ten pick. And, you know, he is a super confident player, physical guy that really, you know, I was talking to his coach yesterday. He said, you know, the biggest difference between – Sauce in 2020 and Sauce in 2021 is that you know he said he wanted to be an NFL player. So we asked him to add 10 pounds. He did that. We asked him to you know be you know be more into the playbook, and he did that. Like he is just a such a smart football player, physical guy. I honestly think he's going to be in consideration as high as two of the Detroit Lions. I think he ultimately comes off the board by pick five. With and Ryan mentioned what is there six one two three four five six eight teams with multiple picks. So I think when you have multiple picks, you can kind of gamble a little bit. Will we see a running back? taken at all or will it be with one of these teams that maybe feels like they can take a reach yeah i think it's going to be more likely that a running back falls out of the first round that's where the betting markets are leaning as well i'm not super high on this running back class overall and i also think teams you know drafting at the back end of the first round have bigger needs right like you know the biggest the team that has been mocked of running back the most has been the buffalo bills and i would rather take any of the interior offensive linemen that will be available. I'd also like to see them go receiver. If Traylon Burks is available, I'd rather have Burks of Arkansas than a running back in that spot. So I don't think a running back does come off the board in the first round, and I think it's smart to do that way. Yeah, and just a quick, quick debrief on the, the philosophy there. We used to see running backs go high all the time, and we have occasionally, but you look at Zeke Elliott and Saquon Barkley and say, oh, maybe other guys in other positions would, would still be adding more value than these guys have been, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's the other thing, too, is that, like, as teams start to look more at the, the rookie wage scale, right, how contracts come in, if you draft a running back inside the top 10, he's immediately, like, the top 15 paid running back. <laughs> running backs aren't paid that well. And when you compare that to drafting an offensive tackle in the top 10, he immediately comes in as, like, ranked outside the top 30 in offensive tackles and how they're paid. So I do think that the contract stuff does come into play for these teams. It's, it's a big driver in what quote-unquote positional value is, right? If you draft this, you know, the highest-paid center in the NFL doesn't make as much as the 20th-ranked tackle, right? <laughs> the teams pay the positions differently because some are more valuable than others, and the running back position is obviously very low on that chart. Really appreciate your time and your expertise, man. It's, there's something fun about the NFL draft. They're just squeezing every last kind of TV rating. A dollar? Anything they it. can get out of it. It's really, <laughs> watching Goodell go to work is, is impressive. Couldn't agree more. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, man. NFL Draft, that is Austin Gale, Pro Football Focus, Draft Analyst. The, um, going back to last year, Najee Harris, the highest running back taken at 24. It was pretty good for Pittsburgh. As well, then a year before, I think it was uh, Edwards Hilaire for Kansas City was one of the last picks of the first round, if I'm correct. Yeah, I'm looking here now. It's just... Um, you kind of plug and play running backs. That's the thing. It's a lot. Jonathan more. Taylor was an all right pick. That was round two. Was again, you get Edward Zellier last pick around one. 
It's kind of like the goalie thing in hockey where you can absolutely find studs there, but you can find busts in round one on running backs and in, with goalies. It's harder to do that at other positions. It's not a safe pick because you're always one injury away. And to be fair, some schemes, you can put a star in there and they can't run for anything, and you can find a washed-up Frank Gore to run for five a pop behind certain O-lines. I do love how teams will kind of spin it this, this year's draft. Awful quarterbacks. There's no quarterbacks in this draft. You get closer to it. Oh, I, you know, I I think there's I think there's some good quarterback play. I I really think that uh, I think that Malik Willis has a real chance to be a Hall of Famer. Oh, are you because like, you need a quarterback? Yeah, that's right. So if we take him, make no mistake about it, this is a great quarterback class. The other factor is that it's, this is called Liars Week, where everything you hear from people from teams is often misdirection and, and smoke trying to get you off uh, the real scent. If DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel get traded. I can't see them moving Debo, but my goodness. In addition to Adams and Tyreek Hill already moved. Whew. That's, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. The star power, the money, the Re- production. Receivers getting paid this year. I guess so. And I get it with DK in the sense that, like, why would you ever want to get rid of that talent? But you just traded away a guy that throws footballs to him. Like, you're not. What are you doing, Seattle? You were like, let's at least you're acknowledging you're not going to be an offensive dynamo, and you might be able to extract more value from a team that has a good quarterback and could use a really good target. And then there's Tyreek Hill. You got a good quarterback, good team. You, what 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 more do you what do you have now though? What do you what do you need? What do you want? Uh, we'll uh, we'll take a look at the out of town scoreboard. The Flames last night victorious in Nashville in Minnesota today. They will practice, take on the Wild tomorrow, and then the Winnipeg Jets before returning home to get ready for Game One of Round One against a to be determined opponent. Will we will we know tonight? Are we in a spot where we can know this evening? Because Dallas. The no. Stars will clinch a playoff berth if they With get a point. point against Arizona. We still got to see how Nashville and Dallas close out. Or if Chicago beats Vegas in any fashion. Vegas can't lose any points. Right, but either way, that doesn't tell us who Calgary's going to play. But it's just, yeah. I mean, there's somehow Vegas. Vegas is... can get eliminated tonight, yes. And then? Now we got to see. Nashville and Dallas are tied in points. Yeah. Four points left on the table for both of them. We know Nashville has the tiebreak of more quality wins i.e. not in shootouts and overtimes so dallas is gonna have to get one more point than them but it's not crazy when you look at the schedule dallas has two teams they should beat they should get four points here they have anaheim and arizona nashville's got to go into colorado who looked pretty darn good against st louis last night and whose coach has challenged them to get going here playoffs start next week that's gonna be a tough building to get two points in especially if they don't have soros and yeah they finish against arizona but if they drop two points to colorado they might not be able to make that back up to catch Dallas. And are you ready for it? Mm-hmm. Colorado also in playing Nashville. Could they have a hand in who they face in round number one? Of course. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know what? Half of our team's got uh, the sniffles. We're going to have to sit everybody tonight. I can't believe it. We're going with five forwards We're putting, and 3D. Uh, McKinnon and Nett. You always like playing Nett in street hockey. Loves He's it. been asking for years. Yeah. We're finally putting McKinnon and Nett tonight. Gear kind of fits a little bit. Yeah, we'll give it a try. That Bednar, Let him have fun. Bednar, he's shifty. You can't. You never know what he's going to do. Yeah, Dallas, Arizona, and Anaheim. Mind you, I guess I'm guessing Dean Evison and the Wild thought they were beating Arizona last night. 
They probably thought they were going to win that game. Yeah, there's no. This is still the NHL. There's it's no funny freebies, but because it is puckering time, there's always a little puckering. This clinching time and here. clenching last clinching night, right? Clinching. We'll come back. Sportsnet 960, the fan.